Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Craft Hook Read Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Wednesday, June 26, 2019. And as always, a big thank you to all of our listeners, old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. And a special welcome to those of you that are joining us because of the recommendation from the Down Cellar Studio podcast. Um, I've been listening to her for a few months now, and I really enjoy it. And so it was a super fun surprise to hear that uh, she has been listening to us as well. And we don't know each other at all. Um, so that was, she just kind of found us on her own. So that was, that's really cool. That was exciting. And she said many nice things. Um, so I hope you enjoy it as well. How are you doing, Courtney? <laughs> I'm okay. Because it's not um, a million degrees today. And I am totally solo. All my guys are in other parts of California. Oh, that's fun. It makes, well, I'm not cooking, Everyone's I'm not cooking anything, though, oh, as okay. a result. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, that section will be short. Short <laughs> and sweet. Short and sweet. So we'll have that later on. We'll also have on the needles, on the easel. Then we'll have on the table. Um, on the nightstand, and we'll do some bingo updates. See how Super. that's going. Yeah. Um, so should we get started? Yes, tell me everything on, about your knitting. On the needles. The knitting has been weird. There's been a lot of it. Some weird. Of it, some of it has brought great joy. I have also done a lot of ripping out. Oh no! User error. Fully, fully user error. But yeah, I'm still in a pretty good space and actually my husband is out of town so the entire living room is now covered in my knitting and he would die a thousand deaths if he actually saw it does it does it bother him yes yeah it bothers my guys too when i co-opt the entire house for projects yeah i'm pretty i'm really good at that yeah I'm, (laughs) i'm pretty good at that too i try and keep it to you know a corner of the front room but i have so many things going right now yeah, and you gotta spread out. I'm the only person really I have hanging a, out there. My boys are playing video games in the front room, but yeah. like they're not. I have a whole art studio, areas. and yeah. I really love to take over the kitchen island. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I have an art studio, so I have an excuse. I feel like you have no excuse, but that's okay. Surface area. I need a bigger yeah. art studio. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> okay, so tell me anyway. about your misfires and your successes. So we'll start with a success. Um, I did finish the baby sweater, the Sunnyside Cardigan by Tannis Lavallee in the Space Cadet Fingering. Colorway is Sweet Decay. Yellows and ochres. It's like and a hay greens. Yes. Yeah. So I finished it and then went away for a long weekend. I had all the finishing left to do still. I had to weave in the ends, find the buttons, all that stuff. Sew the buttons on. None of that has happened. Well, I found buttons. And I did last night realize that I needed to weave in the ends before I could block it. And the buttons that I ordered, I got these green apple buttons online from Etsy. The seller put in the size and I said, I'm sure that'll, that can't be right. (laughs) (laughs) Or alternatively, the laws of physics will not apply and they'll work very fine with my buttonholes. And they came and they were exactly as promised. And they totally did not work with this one. They were way too big. So physics still apply, even in knitting, unfortunately. So I had to go back on another hunt. 
I went to our local, you know, big box yarn store and they didn't really have anything that I really liked. And I, you know how you get an idea in your head? Uh-huh. And I had the same thing with the bed. I have this problem all the time. Yeah. Ideas in my head. You just have a vision <laughs> and it's got to be that. If it's not that, it's just not going to work. But I can't find apple buttons. Or there, some people have red ones, but I wanted green. Green. Anyway. Yeah. Didn't work. So I went to Discount Fabrics here in San Francisco, which you've talked about before. For my purposes, though, they had many, 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 many buttons. Good. And I did find some cute ones. I went with wooden instead, and they have a little heart drawn on them, and they match. So is that matching the ochre? Is that? Yes. Okay. I'm learning. <laughs> so, um, and then I got some bright green ribbon for to line the button band to do a backing. So I still, I still need to block it and do all the sewing, but I have a way forward now, and I'm feeling good about it. I I'm love happy. the button choice. Thanks. I think they're perfect. I think it'll be good. And it's it's gender neutral and because I still don't know what the baby is going to be and now it can be whatever it wants. So now it can be a human baby. There we go. In Very important. That's what we we're hoping for. <laughs> sweet decay colored sweater. Yes. With ochre buttons. Yes. Be awesome. <laughs> Wooden buttons. Yeah. Oh and I have another project that I finished. I think I had mentioned this on the last one. I needed to make a hat for my dad, and I did make the hat for him and finish it in time for Father's Day. So the pattern I used is Rafa's Hat by Hohi Locatelli, and I used Three Irish Girls Glenhaven Cashmerino Worsted, which is another skein that I picked up in Socks Summit in 2011. Way That's, to go using a... I know, I've been doing Do what you can good. with what you have. Yes, well, I mean, and that all... When we get to the end of this segment, you'll see that all kind of went away <laughs> in a blaze of glory. But for now, I have done some one. Oh, and the colorway on this one, just buy me and get it over with, <laughs> which is probably why I bought it. Is it teal? It's not teal, oh. surprisingly. It's kind of a really dark charcoal. Actually, there's teal kind of in the background and purplish, kind of, I almost want to say like an oil slick, but it doesn't have that shiny More kind of like look to it. Just deep that space. Sure, let's go with that. Super soft, delicious yarn. So I made the hat. It's a pretty simple hat. It's like a one-one ribbing, and then you do some, I think, purl stitches in between so it looks like there's a line in the middle, and you just repeat this a couple of times. So now he has a hat for Alaska. And then I started a hat for my mom as well because she wanted one. She had asked for one. So this is where things all go sideways. So I wanted to use some of the yarn that I had used in the cowl that I made her, which was a self-striping uh, DK weight, I think. I didn't have a ton left, so I knew I'd have to combine it with something. So I was thinking of finding a solid that it would go with and doing, maybe doing the brim in the solid and then doing a couple rounds of the striping and then just finishing off in the solid. And I wasn't loving that idea, so I wanted to find something to incorporate it. And then Boston Jen, that's her ugly name, of the Downseller Studio podcast, um, she had released a pattern for a hat, and it uses a mini skein collection, so five smaller skeins of yarn that are all, they're not even, co well, coordinating colors, um, and so she did different sections in the hat, and each one is a different stitch pattern, and it's a super cute pattern. So I had bought it because it's a great way for you, if you don't, you don't have to buy a specific skein collection to make it, you can use your scraps or whatever. And the mini skeins, for those of you that aren't knitters, are very popular in the knitting world. So people pick them up and then you don't know what to do with them. So this is what you would do with them. Um, <laughs> there Are they like scraps. the equivalent of a, uh, the equivalent like a of, fat quarter for quilting? Oh, 
I don't know. I guess. I mean, it's it's usually... like a quarter of a yard, and you can do like small, tiny projects with it, and still get a feel for the fabric. And yes. they're like fabric samplers. Yeah, they usually come in a set though, so it's about okay. the equivalent of a skein of yarn, so a hundred grams. Okay. Um, so this one each would be twenty grams because a five setter you could do four, or some of them are bigger and you'll have one hundred and fifty grams. Um, and they'll usually be like a related set of colors or they just look cool together. And so there's lots of patterns out there that take advantage of this. Um, and this is one of them. So I knew I was working with DK and the pattern is actually for fingering. And also this is a really great pattern. She is a designer besides being a podcaster and noter crochet. Um, and I haven't worked with any of her patterns before. So I really enjoy this pattern. I mean, it's fun because it's got all the different techniques in there. You know, she'll say, do this section three times. Mm -hmm. And she has in there check boxes. So you can check off each time you've done the row. And then, you you know, you go down the row and then you go over and you do the next. That's satisfying. So, yes, yeah, so you <laughs> can keep track of what you're doing and not mess up. Right. So really enjoyed the pattern. However, I tried to convert it to DK and worsted weight yarn. Figured if I went down a size or two from what hat size I thought would actually work. It would be fine because the DK is bigger than the fingering weight yarn. So if you have bigger yarn and you cast on the same number of stitches, obviously it's going to be hugely giant. Did a little math to try and figure out. Did you knit a swatch? No, it's a hat. I've worked with DK. I mean, if it was a sweater, then yes, I probably would. Yeah, but you still had to frog it. So maybe. Well, okay. So there were other issues. It should have worked. Mentally, it should have worked. And you're giving away the end of my story. Mm. Sorry. So it didn't work. And I, and I had done math to figure out like how many fewer repeats I would need to do because I figured it's bigger yarn, my, you know, my this row is, gauge is going to be long. It just, This uh, is where I tap and out. And it looked so Aww. cute. It looked so cute. The colors I picked were great. So I started off, actually, I used the leftover yarn from my dad's hat for the brim because I still had a lot of that left. And it worked. That's how I noticed that it was picking up the teal because the yarn for my mom was teal and a light teal and white and a couple shades of gray. So I thought that would work. And I had some um, dark teal yarn left over that was in a worsted weight. And I had white yarn and I had some gray yarn. I was like, great. So I started the hat and I got through, I think, I got through the brim and then three of the sections and I tried it on and it was ginormous. This would have fit two people. <laughs> oh my gosh. So big. And like, and the brim wasn't that wide. It kind of would have worked, but the hat itself just went out in this weird way and it had no drape and it was going to be too much to fit on her. Oh, it was a disaster. So frogged it, but I will come back to that pattern at some point because I really enjoyed it. So now I am attempting to make work the stash busting helix hat by uh, Jessica Rose, who is uh, actually, she has a podcast too, the Double Knit Podcast. So this is another one that uses scraps, but it is made in worst weight. So I'm working on that now. And I started my sweater. <gasps> what did you decide? Wait. Which sweater? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the one with the rainbow yarn. That was my messy picture that I posted on Instagram. Okay. You can see the rainbow in there. Such fun yarn. Oh my gosh. So this is the one I was talking about last time where I wasn't sure which pattern I was going to use. I knew I wanted to do the yarn, hadn't figured out the pattern. Um, I thought I was going to start off using the flax light pattern from Tin Can Knits and then switch to the Beckett 
bottom half. Um, that pattern is by Marie Green. And then three in the morning, I'm thinking about it as one does. The thing I liked about the Beckett pattern is it has a split hem at the bottom and the back's a little bit longer and there's this cool cable detail going along the side of the body. So it's very, it's a very subtle sweater, but I thought that having the rainbow at the top and then the split hem would just be too much. They'd be pulling your attention in different directions. And I think the rainbow is kind of the exciting part of it. Yeah. So I wanted to save the Beckett pattern for a later sweater where it's just, you know, some plain yarn and then the sweater design itself could be the exciting part. So I am just doing the flax light pattern for the whole thing. It's just a basic sweater. The flax light, it's part of their simple collection, I think. They have a whole series of free patterns for hats and socks and sweaters and cardigans and cowls. They're all super simple, like first time patterns that are free uh, on their website. And they're great patterns and they go in size from itty bitty baby to big huge grown up. Cool. Um, yeah, so they're really good. And I've made this pattern before. I think for fun, oh no, I've done one for me and I've done one as a baby sweater. And it has a cute, cute arm detail, which actually I ended up leaving off. So it's all just plain stockinette. And I've gotten through the rainbow and I've split for the sleeves. And so now I'm just cruising on the body doing miles of gray fingering stockinette. <laughs> um, I'm going to throw in a couple of decreases and increases to give it some shaping because that's what works for me. Yes, yeah, so I'm just, I've been switching back and forth between hats and the sweater. I think I might take it on my camping trip next week because it is really, really simple. So I can more or less do it in not great light at night while I'm talking to people. We'll see how I feel about working on it lakeside because it is still a sweater. Having a sweater draped on me in the heat might not be the best thing, but yeah, I think it'll still probably come along. And then I did a swatch for my Foxtrot cardigan, which is the four day no long. The pattern comes out tomorrow. So I'm super excited to see that. I mean, we've seen the design, and but you can actually see the pattern. And the official cast on date is next Thursday, July 4th. So I did the swatch and I was trying to be really good and use what I had in stash. It was a worsted weight, the pattern calls for a worsted weight. And actually the, the yardage was about the same. So I thought it would kind of work the same, but I did a swatch and I am just not getting gauge. I'm not anywhere close. I think it calls for 20 stitches over four inches. Yeah. And I'm getting 16. Multiply that over sure. an entire sweater. It's, and it's going to be totally. And that was on smaller needles than called for. And as I was knitting what? it. Yeah. Uh, which is usually, I usually do have to go down. I'm a pretty loose knitter, so I usually have to go down a needle size anyway. But as I was knitting it with the smaller needles, I didn't, it felt really tight. I like the fabric at a bigger needle size. So I was going to have to do a ton of math and all sorts of craziness to make it work. Did you, did you look on Ravelry and see if other people had? Very few people have knit the pattern. Oh, right. Cause, Cause this is a new thing. Yeah. Sorry. Not officially. No, no. But she's given us all this watching information so that you can get your yarn, make sure you have the right needles so that when the pattern does drop, you're ready to go. So there's been a lot of discussion of gauge. So I think it's partially me. I think it's the yarn. And I was looking in her pattern last year, I went down a yarn size as well. I think mm -hmm. it called for DK last year and I used sport. So I think maybe she might, maybe she's, maybe the designer is a tighter knitter than I am. So she's just getting something different. And I was using a single instead of and the yarn called for is a four ply, so I'm not sure how much that had to do with it. Anyway, I wasn't loving it. 
So I went yarn shopping. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a, this is a very good solution to this problem. Yes. Well, we'll see. So I still need to test that yarn. I got Madeline Tosh Farm Twist in the tart colorway, which is this amazing, amazing red. And I have heard this mentioned by Gail of the Yarniacs podcast. This is one of her favorite colors. This is the first time I've seen it in person, and it is it is an amazing red color. I can't Gorgeous. wait to see it. So hopefully that will work. So I've got to swatch with that, um, because I definitely want to bring that camping and cast on, because You're... two sweaters is really what I need to carry around while camping. And I still have to knit my elastic cowl, so I'll probably bring that as well. Vacation yarn packing is a very important... It's a real problem. ...decision yeah. that one needs to make. It, it is for art, too. Yeah. Well, and especially for this, because, like, if you're going to a town or a city, you can always run out and, well, theoretically, run out and get something. I'm in the middle of the woods. There is no yarn nearby. So I have to choose wisely. You need contingencies. I do. You need emergency yarn. Yes, because obviously I'm going to be able to knit two sweaters and a cowl in a week while camping. Well, you don't have to cook. I don't have to cook. I basically have to sit my butt by the lake. I right. might go for a hike or a walk. We'll see. Maybe a little archery. You should, you'll be able to. Yeah. So it's going to be a battle. Okay. Leisure time activities. I'm rather knit, read, to... read, knit, knit, exactly. knit, knit, read. Yep. <laughs> to see what calls to me. So yeah, so hopefully the new yarn will work. You could do audiobooks and that way you can knit whilst reading. True. Yes. And that would, if you didn't carry books with you, you'd have more room for the yarn. That is a good point. <laughs> and I did work on the socks a little bit more. Um, and they're getting to the point, I think I'm about halfway through the second sock. This, these are the socks for my husband that are my purse knitting. So they kind of get pulled out whenever I'm at a doctor's appointment or you know, waiting on my kids for something. So they're taking forever just because I never really knit on them. But I think I'm about halfway through the second one. So I'm almost at the point where I'm like, oh, I just got to finish these and it won't take me that long. Right. So they'll probably come camping too. We'll see though. Your eyes are twinkling just at the very thought. Of being done? With no, of just all of the great knitting oh, you've got. There is. And even with all the setbacks, like I still, it's been a really fun two weeks. The rainbow on, oh, that yarn is from Gage Dye Works, and it's called Whiskey in a Teacup. And I was so excited that the rainbow, it worked out exactly like it was supposed to. So good. And now just lots of, lots of great knitting. Yeah. So, but it's still super relaxing. Watch TV or, you know, sit by a lake. All right. So that's all the knitting. What is on the easel? Well, I have sewing to talk about first. Okay. I really wanted to make an art pouch to go you know this is this is on the easel on the go I guess an art pouch that would fit my watercolor palette my gouache palette and all the little pens and my travel brushes and um, everything that was and my one or two small sketchbooks it's a little easier to get a sketchbook in a town but if you are like me, you like a certain weight and a certain color, so it's better to take a couple. Contingency painting. Obviously. <laughs> um, so I've been, I made a pouch and it didn't fit everything, even though I, I thought I had done the math. And so I gifted it away. 
And then I started another pouch. I'm mid-construction on it, and it has lots of pockets on the outside. My friend Joy had recommended the Delphonics pouches. They're on Amazon, and they're so great because they have lots of integrated storage. Pockets on the inside with a little Velcro to hold it closed, and pockets on the outside, and pen pockets, and amazing. And what everyone raves about with these Delphonics, which are a Japanese, I think they're Japanese, is just this really smooth zipper on it, which is nice. You yeah, know, it's nice. Important. You don't want to fight with the zipper. So I've just been taking my time to build the pouch that will fit exactly what I want to take with me. So that's on the sewing table. Yesterday, I made a pair of underwear. They're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that everyone, well, my husband, for starters, was like, you're going to make underwear? He thought I was crazy. But it's really satisfying to be able to choose the fabrics that you want. They come together really quickly. I self-drafted a pattern from a pair of my most favorite underwear. It's not rocket science. Um, like, I feel like a bra would be more like rocket science. Yes. Um, it was a really satisfying make. The fabric that I chose was maybe not quite right. If it weren't so sheer, you could swim in it. But I feel like mm -hmm. it's a little, it's more like a, a bathing suit weight than it is lingerie weight. So that was a good lesson learned. However, I still have enough that I might attempt a bra at some point. Because I think it would be interesting... I really like to know how things are made from like the whole production of it. Right. And so even the the gusset in the under in the underwear was an interesting construction because if you're buying a high-end pair of underwear, generally that gusset, which is the cotton part of your underwear, is totally stitched in. You know, whereas mm. a less expensive pair and not I mean there's you know I think Gap Body doesn't sew their gusset completely around there it might be sewn across the back seam mm -hmm. and then it's open in the front which some argue makes it easier to launder I mean it's just really interesting to look at something so we wear them every day the construction can vary pretty widely I just really like to know how things like that are made and how to either make them better for me or I don't know it's it's it just interested me so I had success with the overall construction I think I need to be more mindful of my fabric choice mm -hmm. next time and I will do I will do them again what I love the most is that there are no tags there are no weird seams everything fits perfectly and all I have to do is refine fabric and so, they were really cute and they're, and they're really cute and then I made this little jewelry pouch for travel it's maybe a little bigger than I was aiming for but it's made out of green velvet leopard print I, I had a picture of it in my stories I can't wait for 100 days to be over with so that I can go back to posting whatever I want. But I feel like the 100 put that days on our feed. is so. Oh, that's a good point. I'll put it on our feed. Yes, because it is super cute. 
So this is oh, pink lining. It's lined in pink. It has a vintage zipper, and it ha it's like circular, and it opens like a a puppet. I want to say it's the size of an apple, but it's really it's a little bigger. Yeah, maybe like a grapefruit. Yeah, it's a little bit bigger than I was aiming for, but it squishes down in the luggage, and and it's super cute. So that worked out. So I have had sewing success. Excellent. It's really nice to take over the kitchen island and cut patterns there. Mm. It's just, I need a pattern table. As for the art, I am on day 83 of the Hunter Chromatics. And I had a real struggle with the, I went from dark greens, the deep dark greens, mm -hmm. to the light greens. And in my head, when I was planning it, I thought that those colors were going to be so different. And then when I was doing the dark greens, I caught myself moving a little, a little too light and had to, had to um, not scrap, but like sort of repaint a couple things mm. so that they fit the category, which was not my intention. I just wanted to paint and experiment. But with these two colors, I felt like maybe I shouldn't have split them into two groups. Mm. I should have just painted greens. I thought I was struggling with mixing greens. And really, I think that there's a huge variety of greens that I didn't allow myself to explore, even though I gave myself like 18 days to look at different greens. I also thought that that was going to be my favorite stage because mm -hmm. I love all different shades of green. It wasn't as satisfying as I thought it was going to be. Somebody had asked me, what I was learning about that chromatics and I feel like I had more success painting the colors that I didn't like the purple and the orange because I really pushed myself to explore those colors that's in it's interesting to me yeah so now I am doing white I saw that this morning and it is hard to oh, paint yeah. white things it's also hard to paint black things which I'm going to do next I think what's tricky about it is is showing the depth and dimension of something that is white or black. And how do you shadow and shade those in a way that conveys their volume? So I feel like, I don't Especially know. Especially with the white on the white paper. That's on toned paper. Oh, is it? I cheated. Oh, nice. Well then. I don't know that it's cheating. I think part of another thing that I sort of failed at with the chromatics was my intention was to paint a lot more backgrounds but at a daily pace it takes a long time it takes a long time to for that paint to to like choose your choices and then if you make a mistake mm -hmm. with the background then letting it dry or repainting over it or it's been a really interesting exercise and I have tons of art and I will certainly finish it um, but I think that I, I'm looking for more time to explore things and sketch new things. and mm -hmm. So white is tricky because all the paper is white, but I do have two different toned books. I have brown and gray, and then I have colored paper. So I may just try and paint white things on colored paper or stick with the toned, the toned sketchbooks. It's a little bit thinner than watercolor paper. Or I may paint on the white stock and paint the background. So depending on how things go, we'll see. 
I think I want to do the full series, the full nine of white and then a full series of black. And then that's that's it. A wrap for the hundred day wow. projects. I was going to do transparent and reflective things too, but I think I'll do that after I pause. So yeah, and then the only other thing that I'm working on is my what I'm gonna take to sketch with while I'm traveling because my 2019 goal is to paint daily and so far oh right you know here it is june 20 whatever i'm still on track so that feels really good yay it's a yeah. lot of, it's because in just a few days we'll be halfway through the year right? yikes or halfway through the months that's crazy that is crazy so yeah 100 and almost 80 days well definitely 180 days of painting because wow. i had i was painting daily yeah. For most of December, too. That's where I'm at. All right. On the table. What are you cooking? Dash has been cooking. <gasps> Boy, too. So he made stromboli. Yum. What, did, was, he, what was, did he put in it? Um. So we had prosciutto and mortadella and salami. Carnivore, Carnivore stromboli. Yes. And provolone and mozzarella. And it was very interesting. I don't know that I have ever made stromboli, and I don't order it a lot. Really? Yeah. This I mean, was a staple of my childhood. I mean, I've had it, and but I think of it as being super saucy, and maybe that's just my vision of it, and I'm wrong because there was almost no sauce on the inside. I don't think of it as saucy at all. Okay, so it's just me. Usually there's a side dipping yes, sauce. Yes, there was absolutely side dipping sauce, but I was, I don't know, anyway. Um, we added a little bit more sauce to the inside and rolled it up and it cooked and was delicious. So that was good. Awesome. That yeah. is, it's so funny. You know, we have the, um, on our bingo sheet, we have an heirloom recipe. Oh, that yeah. would be an heirloom recipe for me because boy, did we have a lot of that when I was a kid. Interesting. But it was good. And then he made pork vindaloo the other night, which is wow. a Jamie Oliver recipe. And we had actually made, actually, he had made that one before as well, because I had notes. I write notes yeah. in my cookbooks. And he made it, I think, three years ago, and it was good. Remind me what's in Vindaloo. Vindaloo, so it's like an, it's an Indian kind of curry. Um, this one had tomatoes, and we used the Patak's uh, hot curry paste, and you throw water in there, and it was supposed to have onions. I somehow did not have any onions in my house, so we skipped that, which could have been part of the problem. It was really, really saucy, and in the photo, it didn't look like there was that much liquid. I mean, it was delicious. The tomato, you kind of put the tomatoes in in big chunks and then cook down a little bit, but they're still in there. And I think of it as traditionally being made with lamb, but I don't know if that's the case. Um, and I used, we used pork for that, and he said you could use chicken as well. It had a lot of flavor, not a ton of heat, which is good. Mm -hmm. I think you definitely, we left out a lot of the chilies because boy number one is not at all spicy kid. Yeah. And wanted him to be able to at least attempt to eat it. It worked out well, but it was really, really liquidy. After it was finished cooking, took the lid off. And it said to keep the lid on while you're cooking. So that could have been part of it. So we took the lid off and I let it cook for a little bit longer. And then... Uh, we made rice to go with it, and usually when I do flavored rice, I throw it all in. Like mm -hmm. I'll saute the thing, saute whatever, and throw it in while it's cooking. He has you cook the rice, and then you 
Um, for this one, it was a paste of lemon zest, turmeric, and ginger. And you kind of saute it in the pan and then throw the rice in and cook it, or kind of coat it with the paste to get the flavor, which I thought was an interesting option. So that was tasty. Um, so that was his too. And then they're both in camp this week, so I have to do all the cooking. And it is very meat heavy because the husband is in traveling again. But last week he was home, it was all veggie all the time. So we've had um, two very different weeks. And it, it was actually, I feel like I'm really starting to embrace the vegetarian. Well, I mean, not entirely, obviously, because I am doing fully meat this week. But I wasn't picking as many meals because I could also throw some chicken thighs on the side for the boys. It was like, right. we're having, I'm making tofu stir fry. We're all having tofu stir fry. We made the cabbage risotto that I had done before, mm-hmm. which was still delicious. And I did a quinoa salad with tomato, smoked mozzarella, and mint. Yeah, and that one I was love from mint. Dinner change in the game. Yeah, so that was good. And I think I served green beans. That one I did throw some sausage on the side for the kids. Um, I just thought they needed a little more protein, but um, that was really good. And it made a ton. Oh, good. So Simon was eating that for breakfast the next few days. And then, yeah, and then we had the long weekend, so I was sort of away from cooking for four or five days. But that was fun because my family and my parents, my sister and her kids, and my family and I go up almost every year to Tahoe, do a long weekend, and we have just a set menu, so we don't really have to think about it. My dad grills a bunch of things. We do sides. It's pretty simple. But it's always kind of nice to have that. It's like a holiday meal, right? Like, you know for Thanksgiving pretty much what you're going to have. You might change up. Some little small things, but you know there's going to be turkey and mashed potatoes and whatever else your right. family likes. And at that, there was a lot of comfort in having that routine, I think. Predictable. So, yeah. yeah. So the boys look forward to like, okay, we're having the steak that Nana and Papa make. We're having the chicken thighs and citrus vinaigrette that's really great. You know, we're going to do this and this and this. Just having that. That repetition is really nice. So that was fun. And, you know, then nobody really has to think about what we're going to make. It's not a big discussion. Like, right, because you don't want to... On vacation, you don't want to yeah. worry about that kind of thing. But it is nice to also have a family meal. Mm-hmm. So that was good. What have you been cooking? Equally weird here since my guys are away and we we were busy getting them ready to go away the past couple weeks. So we I did... A little of that one skillet chicken with rice and broccoli and cheddar oh, yeah. from a way back when. And I did the frittata recipe again for Father's Day because mm-hmm. um, we did a Father's Day brunch. But I did make the chocolate mousse pie for mm-hmm. my father-in-law, which is like a crowning achievement of a recipe. It's very easy it comes together beautifully and it looks really impressive. You do it in a springform pan. Mm-hmm. I had one of my boys scrape the cream out of a sleeve of Oreos so that I would just have the. Do you remember those Nabisco chocolate wafers that you used mm-hmm. to be able to find everywhere? I can't find them anywhere. Mm. And I needed either chocolate wafers or chocolate graham crackers and I couldn't find either. So we used Oreo wafers, the outsides of the Oreo. And boy, did he have fun dismantling Oreos for this project and probably ate half the bowl of cream in the process. So that's the crust 
which is just at the bottom of the springform pan. Mm -hmm. And then the, the chocolate mousse is semi-sweet chocolate chips with vanilla and a pinch of salt. And I put it in the food processor. And then I heat up two cups or is it two cups or a cup of heavy cream. And when it's boiling, you pour the heavy cream into the chocolate chips and then turn on the food processor and it like emulsifies the whole thing. Wow. The heat from the heat from the heavy cream melts the semi-sweet chips and it turns it into like chocolate sauce. Legit huh. chocolate sauce. And then you whip up two cups of heavy cream. It must just be a cup in the that you boil. Right. So two cups of heavy cream in the in the KitchenAid with a little bit of sugar, just a pinch of sugar to help sweeten it. And then when the chocolate sauce is cool enough, you fold it all together, fold the chocolate sauce and the whipped cream. Uh -huh. And you kind of, it takes a while because you don't right. want to lose the air out of that. And it's... I always try and rush folding and it, mm -hmm. you, you can't. And this is, it happens every time. I will think that I'm almost there and then I'll find a vein of, you know, whipped cream that is marbling my whole thing. So a lot of times we've just done that part and skipped the crust and eaten it in parfait glasses. Oh, yeah. Because it's amazing. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> it's so good. But this time I did put it, it was the day before, and I did put it in the, um, in the spring form with the crust set it in the fridge overnight and it just it firms up beautifully you can cut that thing it's mm. just gorgeous yeah and I have used that recipe since the 90s it's so old it's a really old um epicurious recipe oh. do you do anything else with the crust or you just you really it's really just the cookies it's cookies and a little bit of butter I think mm -hmm. but might, you don't cook it or anything uh I do bake it for like five okay. minutes but that's it. It's basically a no-bake. Yeah. You know, if you didn't want to do the crust. No, I was just thinking that I feel like if you didn't scrape out the cream, it would pretty much mix in there. I feel like I've had that issue before, and I did not have children available to scrape all the cream out, so I just threw them all in the food processor, and it pretty much disappears in there. Oh. So that would hold it all together as the butter would, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's basically shortening. Let's yeah, be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's not cream. <laughs> yeah. I think taking the taking the cream out makes it a little less sweet. Hmm, the whole thing true. is that's not true. very yeah. sweet, surprisingly. No, yeah. And it is a huge crowd pleaser. So yeah. I'm happy to share this recipe. It's basically an heirloom at this point because I'm an old lady now but hmm. and have been making it for so many years. It is just a... I mean... It is a family favorite for sure. So that was that was a big success. And then the other night for just the two of us, I attempted to cook for two and ended up cooking for six, basically. <laughs> I just, when the boy's not here, I don't know how to scale back. You know, I, I made this potato zucchini cake and it was meant to be little individual cakes, but I thought, oh, it's just the two of us. I'll just throw this together. <laughs> Three zucchinis, a sweet potato, and a regular potato. That's me dialing it back. <laughs> um, it filled my entire cast iron skillet. I was laughing. You had one giant? Uh -huh. Oh, that's awesome. Well, and I just left it on the 
um, stovetop for a little bit and I thought this thing is never going to cook so I kind of inverted it as best I could like mm -hmm. in quarters and then I put it in the oven and put it like 350 and just let it cook so that it was not raw there's egg in there that's a recipe from one potato two potato do you know that cookbook I feel like you've talked about it before it's a good one I think it could use maybe some chives or some green onion or something mm -hmm. like that, which I should have taken advantage of since my children weren't here. Really delicious. I had it for breakfast the next day. Nice. I had picked up some empanadas from mm -hmm. Limon on Mission Street. Mm -hmm. So we had it with the empanadas. It was great. And then the only other thing that I want to... We've been away also. We've been here and there and up in Tahoe and we had a little key lime pie that mm -hmm. that he and I shared and it had a beautiful uh, graham cracker crust which I adore and it had a little bit of whipped cream piped around the edge and mm -hmm. it reminded me that a long time ago we had the most amazing frozen key lime pie from a restaurant in Bernal Heights it was mm -hmm. called Liberty Cafe or something like that. Mm -hmm. So now I'm on a fervent hunt for a frozen key lime pie recipe because mm. it jogged a memory. And it's, you do them in a ramekin and they're mile high and then frozen and refreshing and wonderful. So that's a little side project I got going. So if anybody has one, let me know. Yeah, throw it in the Instagram comments. And I feel like I can get key limes from the market over here. I've seen them now and again. Yes. Maybe there's a season. I mean, you can I buy key lime juice, too. Oh, that's true. On the nightstand? Yes. What are you reading? Many fewer books than last time, which is good because I did all the knitting. Uh, so I finished Anna of Cleves, The Princess in the Portrait by Alison Weir. This is the one that's the fictional version of the life of the fourth wife of Henry VIII. Um, she was a German princess that he saw a picture of her and agreed to marry her for political reasons. She arrived in England. He said, oh no, this is not going to work. They ended up annulling the marriage and she ended up living out her days in England as his honored sister and was, you know, had precedence at court over all of the women except the current queen, whoever <laughs> that, whichever of the rotating cast of characters that was, and his daughters. So it worked out pretty well for her. But she's always kind of a mysterious, unknown figure. She's not as dramatic as a lot of the other wives' stories. And Allison is a respected historian and started off writing nonfiction actual histories. And she's um, still writing that as well, but has switched over to doing a, a series of fiction books about the wives. And I said this before, and I will continue to say it, I don't love her as a fiction writer. However, uh, I ended up really kind of enjoying the story and her spin on it. It was completely crazy and outrageous. Um, and there were parts where you could tell, oh, there, there must be a, an actual letter or document and she's pulling that in, which was sort of annoying, but also really interesting because she does know the period and the history and the sources so well yeah. that as a fan of historical fiction, you know that she knows her stuff and she's, one assumes, getting it right. So that part or, was interesting. Or as right as, as close yeah, yeah, yeah. as possible. Yeah. yeah. 
it's based on actual understanding of the period. Yeah. And not like, oh, I think this is what the Middle Ages are like. And just getting the story, even if it's maybe not entirely accurate as someone that is kind of clouded in mystery, was good. So not my favorite book of all time, but I ended up enjoying it and was sad to see it end. Good. And then I read The Time In Between by Maria Duenas. Uh, Oh, I forgot to get the translator. So this is a Spanish book and story of a young woman in Spain and Morocco in the 1930s and early 1940s. So during the Spanish Civil War and the beginning of World War II. Um, And she is born to a single mother who is a seamstress and she grows up learning that trade. Oh, so you might like that part. (laughs) She has a nice little life. She finds a nice boy to marry, and she throws it all away when she meets a scoundrel and runs away to Morocco with him. He abandons her, and she's left penniless in a foreign country. And it goes on from there. Oh, and it says this in the summary of it on the, the inside. So you're so, not. So I'm not giving anything away. She's going to become a spy during World War II. Fabulous. So it's a great setup. I'm like, oh, this sounds amazing. However... It takes two-thirds of the 600-page book to get to the spy part. (laughs) And the guy dumps her on, like, page 40. So there is a lot of stuff in between, which is kind of setting up how she learns these life lessons or, you know, has all these experiences that enable her to become a spy. It could have used some editing. Okay. The spy stuff was pretty awesome. The background, I mean, the history part of it did feel like she had done a lot of research into the time period and what it was like in Madrid in the 30s, during and after the war. And she does have a fascinating life in Morocco, but there was a lot of setting up for the spy stuff. Yeah. So. um, Well, I do like any book that talks about sewing or seamstresses. And then I'm currently in the middle of two books because I am reading a book and listening to a book. Okay. I am reading Middle Game by Shannon McGuire. And she wrote, she writes the Wayward Children series. And I talked about the most recent one in that a few episodes ago. She's won Hugo and Nebula Awards. She's an amazing writer. Um, So this is a normal sized book. So I'm not very far into it. From the, again, from the summary, there are twins named Roger and Dodger. The boy, Roger, is all about words, lives, breathes, language. The girl, Dodger, lives and breathes, math. And they are basically two parts of one almost godlike creature. And their creator is basically made them to sort of take over the world, is what I'm gathering from the summary. So okay. definitely, this is definitely a, you know, fantasy kind of thing. And apparently, as we learned very early on, the creator was himself created in the 1800s, so he's been alive for over 100 years. So it's sort of a little bit, that's the word I wanted, magical realism, because it sort of seems to be in the real world, but there's this behind-the-scenes alchemical society led into gold kind of thing, but more focusing on the Frankenstein kind of idea of creating mm-hmm. humans. So we'll weird. See so very weird. And I have to say, the beginning is kind of amazing. So she starts off with book seven, Like, it starts off book seven, the end. And it is Roger and Dodger, and she has been shot. There's blood everywhere, and he's upset and trying to figure out what's going on. Like, so you're basically, you start at the end of the book. And I know movies do this a lot, 
Yeah. And I guess books do it a lot too, but like to announce it. And, you know, then you go to a flashback. And how do we get there? But this is a pretty, pretty darn dramatic ending. And I feel like it's not really the ending because we don't know exactly what's going to happen. So that was really a good start. And then, then it goes to section zero. Restarts everything, but she has, you know, authors will have little quotes. So her first two quotes, one is from Ada Lovelace, who was the woman that invented the first, that wrote the first computer program. And the next quote is from Lord Byron, mm-hmm. who is her father and a poet. And oh my I, gosh, yeah. really? And I don't know if most people know that. I, that's one of the weird facts that I happen to know. Yeah. So it's kind of a really funky, cool setup. And I'm quite sure that she knows that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, and then it goes on for the story and it's pretty crazy and dark and I'm really enjoying it. Excellent. That's really so, interesting. And then the one I'm listening to is The Three-Body Problem by Cheshen Liu, which is written in Chinese and translated by Ken Liu. So this one, my husband recommended. He listened to it years ago. It's part of a trilogy. He says the first one is amazing. The second and third are even better. So I sort of know where this is going, but where I am in this book, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> But in a good way. What is the premise? So, well, that's the tricky part. We're not sure. So there are, it takes place in China, starts off with uh, during the Cultural Revolution, and there's a woman who is from an academic family, and she's an academic. Her father's been killed. She's ended up through various things on a secret project, and then you don't kind of find out what's what happens to her. She's sort of being sent there as a punishment. It's kind of like you can go to prison for eight years or you can go give your life to this project. Yeah. Okay. Science project. She's like, science project. Thank you very much. So then in modern times, there's all this weird stuff happening to scientists. Um, So there's a guy, he's a scientist, he's working on nanotech and he gets called in to talk to a cop who's kind of like a noir cop. He's sort of a dirty cop, but he gets the job done. And then there's some army guys. Apparently, there's a list of scientists that are famous in their field, and they've all committed suicide in the past two months. And so no one knows why. So they're trying to figure out why. After this meeting, the scientist that they called in starts seeing a countdown clock in his vision, doesn't know what it means, starts looking into it, shenanigans ensue. He doesn't know what's going on. He keeps running into the cop. He keeps running into kind of the same people. There's a lot of math in this. No one really knows what's going on, but there's something going on. Okay. And I think it has to do with aliens. That's Whoa. where that's where we seem to be leading. But you really, you don't know. But it's, it's really well written. It's very interesting. And I have no idea what's going to happen. He keeps going in to play this video game in this weird world. It's, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. You know it connects somehow. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was a mysterious... A lot of weirdness in my reading right now. <laughs> okay. Anyway, well, how about you? Less confusing? Slightly. I read Transcription by Kate Atkinson. Hmm. And this is in part because I'm eager for the next, for her new release. That's is, the new Jackson Brody. Yeah. And this it's month. due out soon. Yeah. yeah. Which I also realized one of our bingo entries is a one-word title. Oh, yeah. Which sounds very arbitrary, but in practice, it sort of makes, it makes me, and I hope other people, uh, pay attention to the titles of books mm-hmm. in a way that you wouldn't normally. We look at so many books and any way that you can step out of your usual framework 
of looking at books is worthwhile. So Transcription by Kate Atkinson is the story of a woman named Juliet. Juliet is like a mid to late 20s woman in London during World War II. Mm-hmm. And she is pulled into this group to do... Transcription. Transcription for for her group of government spies. And so they're eavesdropping on conversations in the next room over. And she's clicky-clacking away and typing out what she hears. And then this gaggle of guys that she's working with are a little bit more involved in the... The actual spying. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't really get to do a whole lot of spying. And she is a little bit earnest about capturing the attention of one of the... Like her boss, basically. um, Which was a little awkward. It flashes much... Kate Atkinson did this, well, heavily in Life After Life. But Mm -hmm. the flash forward, flash back, give you a glimpse of what Juliet's occupation... She she goes to work for the BBC post-war and is doing like a children's show. Mm -hmm. And she's responsible for making sure that it's okay to air on that side of it. And so the back and forth is a little bit confusing to me because things are revealed and then we don't know when she found out. Something will be revealed and then you go back and find out like how she how, found that out. Or, yeah. Or she'll only reveal part of something and you go back and find out the whole story. And I don't know that we ever... Parts of it we get the, the whole story, but we also learn something disturbing about this group of spies. Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? Yes. So... Anyhow, they're trans- spying within spies and mysteries. Yeah. And... yeah, it's never as it seems. Right. Nothing is really ever as it seems. No. I really enjoyed it and I was interested in the main character. And then I was surprised by the ending in a way. Yeah. So that is all I have to say about transcription, yeah. my one word title entry for yeah. Bingo. And it's a standalone of her books. It's yes, not a Jackson thank Brody. You. It, it's World War II, but it's not any of the same characters as Life After Life. Yeah, and I think she was really inspired because she was reading some transcripts of these spy documents. Mm-hmm. Like, she was reading the transcriptions. And what inspired her was thinking about the woman, the likely the woman, she doesn't know for sure that it was a woman, who did these transcriptions. Right. Which also moved me because at the t- when I started reading transcription, I painted yet another typewriter mm-hmm. and thought, oh my gosh, all of these typewriters that I've been painting for many years were the like one of the few choices available to women for an occupation. It put so much more meaning into these typewriter paintings that I'm obsessed with right now. So I have even more appreciation for the novel for illuminating that for me and something that should have been quite obvious but frankly I sometimes need a smack so that was transcription on the heels of Monica my copy of Island of the Sea Women by Lisa C came in to the library and I devoured it Monica just talked about it last week so I don't know that I want to rehash it completely but I do want to say that Holy cow, the ending was so sad. It was so sad, and I was very disappointed with that. So this is the book that takes the sea divers on Jeju Island, which is on the southern tip of Korea. 
and it is pre-Korean War, right? Yeah, it starts it spans, during World War II. Right, and then through Korean War. Mm-hmm. And, and through and modern times. Through modern time. So, but mostly focused on kind of the Korean I loved the history of and and changes that happen on Jeju Island. I love the matrilineal society Mm -hmm. of this island and how these women have so much autonomy uh, for the most part. I hated, although appreciated, hearing the history of it was really difficult to... It was just atrocious history, but important to have that perspective of it. And then the ending of it was um, really sad. I mean, I wanted I wanted there to be resolution where it was it couldn't happen. I think that this is beautifully done, and I recommend it. I'm also reading Women Talking which a lot of people are talking about right now. It's on a bunch of different lists. I have not heard of it. By Miriam Toes, and she wrote All My Puny Sorrows, which I know my book group has talked about a lot. This book is about a community of Mennonites. This is leans toward The Handmaid's Tale in a way, mm. where all of the women in their community have been abused in the night by like seven or eight men in their community and they've they've been like almost chloroforming them it is so disturbing that i can barely read it the premise is that these women have been abused and that women and girls and very young so disturbing one of them one of the women calls actual police and so the police come and they take away these eight men and the other men in their community sell off their animals. They're a Mennonite community, so they're closed off to society for the most part. So they take a bunch of the animals to sell off to make bail to get these seven or eight men out of jail. And while it's going to take a couple days to do that because they've got to hike wherever, in the meantime, the women have to decide if they're going to leave their community or if they're going to forgive the men. It's like they have these two choices. And they're illiterate, and they only speak this dialect of old Prussian or something like that. I guess Mennonites were a German. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, No, that does make sense. They don't educate their women. And so they're having these big conversations about how do we even leave? We can't read. We only know what little we know. It's kind of like a woman is no man. Yeah, yeah. Similar in terms of why, like, how can you say I just need to leave because what am I supposed to do? Right. I mean, this society has been set up to oppress the women anyway. So they have this one man in their community whose name is August, and he um, had left the community with his parents and was raised by his mother outside of the Mennonite community. He, for some reason, he had spent time in prison and he had to go back. And so he is literate and can write and can trans. He speaks English and, and he speaks this Mennonite dialect. And so he's recording. He's the only man there and he's recording, making a document of the, he's making a transcript of the women's conversation. He cannot help 
but inject his little fragments of opinion into their conversations. And it is creepy, not in a bad way, but yeah, because of the, I don't know, I can't so wrap. Why, why, and I mean this sincerely, why are you still reading this? Um, I'm not that far. I'm, I'm halfway. Because it's not a big book. It's not a big book. I'm sort of grossed out by it. Goes quickly, and I want them. I just, I'm like, you just leave. To rise up and I do. I want them to like. You can do this. You know. I'm sort of like leave. <laughs> not that easy. So it's well written enough and well done enough that you yeah. want to see where it's going to end up. And... Yeah. And even though I know that the traumas are really gut wrenching, I want the men to be held accountable. And I think that it's partly me urging these women to take control of their own destiny Mm -hmm. and partly me wanting the men to be held accountable. That's why I'm still reading it. But I wish I could let it go, to be honest with you. No, it sounds like an interesting book in the way it's written. sounds kind of intriguing, but yeah, definitely a hard subject. Totally. So So when when we come back and record again, I will either... Yay or nay it. All right, then. Bingo. I thought we might do a quick recap of the rules. Okay. Um, since we do have lots of new people listening, and we haven't... Um, you can always go back to the episode that's called Bingo, where we first talk about it. But if you don't want to do that, I thought we might kind of go over everything. So it runs from Memorial Day to Labor Day here in the U.S., so you have plenty so of time. Started May twenty third, I want to say, and we'll run through. We'll run through September second. If you need a copy of the bingo sheet, you can find it on our Instagram. In the story, it's in my stories under podcast. So it's like pinned at the top. Yeah. Yeah. You can just grab that digital photo, I guess, and then just you know check it off on your on your camera screen. Or if you want, you can email us and Monica will send you a PDF. And the email is craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. And the only benefit of getting the paper copy is then you can write out, well, you could do it on your phone too. Then you could write and check off more specifically what what you made or what you... But we love it if you would also tag... Well, that is how you enter. So you need to complete a bingo row. Horizontal, vertical, diagonal is fine. Um, any row of five. You can fill up the whole board, too. That would be awesome. I'm aiming to fill up the whole yeah. board because but I... But not required. We just need one <laughs> row. Um, and when you do... And post whenever you want, please. We've had a lot of people do that already, and it's been super fun to see that. But to officially enter, you need to post on Instagram with the hashtag... CCRR Summer Bingo. 2019. Yep. And that will be in the show notes. And that is also on the bingo card. So you can access it. Make sure it's also a good idea if you're not sure if I'm if craft cook read repeat is following you on Instagram to tag us as well. So that I can make sure that we can see the hashtag and follow you. Yeah, Um, I had a little issue with that with one person, but we figured it out. I think that's the main rules we'll have. We, I have this. Prize. Courtney we, is making things. It's going to be awesome. We haven't totally figured out all the prizes, but there will be. We'll have a, a random drawing from all the entries. Yeah, and somebody will get a little gift box from us here in San Francisco, Goodies. and it will have something crafty, something. It'll have things. 
We're still working on that. We've, Something podcast related. We've got time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I've been enjoying seeing all the, the pictures from people. Trish posted an amazing picnic and uh-huh. she started grilling. I want I want to be invited to that picnic next time. Penny Gale made tzatziki with dill. So that was the herb one, I think. And Julie, who is Chant 26 made socks. Which were beautiful. Oh my gosh, that's like so real fun. socks with patterning and gorgeousness, and and she was on an airplane, so on vacation when she did it. So double point, double yeah. points. Melissa did a rock painting, and it looked like an avocado. It was so cute. Oh my gosh, fun. And um, oh, and I haven't told you this yet. So we had a comment on the podcast on the on the um, show notes the other day from Ari Rashkai, who I think is Suzanne. Um, if it's the same person on Podbean and on Ravelry. Um, she just started listening and she's been binging and she made your chimichangas. Oh, good. And she has a ton of them and she loves them. And if nothing else, then her life is complete for that. So that was very sweet. If you're a new listener, the chimichanga recipe, do you remember what episode that was? Mm, one it's, of the early ones. Yeah. It's one of the early ones. And the chimichangas are great all year round, and they are super fast to throw together. They're, really they're a crowd pleaser. You can make a lot of them really fast. They're so versatile, and that is and delicious. Yes, they're delicious. Most importantly, yeah, that is a fa- that's a favorite recipe around here. Yeah, so I you know I don't know that I have done made any progress this time, but I will definitely hit up the campfire. I did post the picture of my sister and I grilling and I'm putting that in quotation marks and saying it very ironically my dad was fully the one doing all the grilling when we were up in Tahoe and we just took a picture with the grill (laughs) but camping there will be marshmallow roasting so I will check that off and the reading by water the grilling one is the hardest for me because we don't have one and I don't know that I'm going to cross paths with a grill Mm. at all this summer which I know sounds crazy but we'll have to figure that out yeah but I did make progress. I tried the new medium or technique by making lingerie, which I feel oh, right. yeah. is squarely a new technique for Definitely. me. Definitely. I read a one-word title with transcription, and I made the new jewelry pouch. I made something new, that little leopard jewelry pouch. So I still don't have a bingo, and I'm not really trying for one either. I'm just right. trying to fill them all in. Because I think we made this so that we would explore different things this summer. Yep. It's very fun. Okay, so I think that covers all of the main things you need to know. I'm still looking for, I'm welcoming book recommendations for my... Oh, right, yeah. So when we post the episode on Instagram, then go ahead and comment on that. Yeah. Let Courtney know what I'm she always, should read. I'm always looking for book recommendations. The one I'm listening to is a recommendation for my husband. So that, oh, so I guess I'm working on it. It's in progress. Yeah. Um, and I think that's it. Make sure you do something you love every day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf. That's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.